Well, hey, good morning, Friendship family. It's good to see you. If you're here for the first time or you're new here, welcome. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, before we even jump into this morning's sermon, I want, you, I want to introduce you to something. Uh, how many of you have ever used the, the Version Bible app? Has anybody ever used that? Um, okay, a few of you. Uh, if you don't know, this is like the world's best-selling, um, not best-selling because it's totally free, but you can download this, the most downloaded app uh, for the Bible. Um, we're actually in this now. And so I want to show you a quick video in case you're interested. You want to follow along. There's notes in there. Uh, I want to show you a quick tutorial here. So if, we'll put this video up on the screen. So if you click this Bible app here, uh, it'll go like this. Push, push. There we go. It's taking me a while to get my fingers working. There it goes. Okay, so <laughs> click on version Down in the right corner, there's a more tab. You click on that. Uh, once you click on that, which I will do in a second here. There we go. Okay, and then there's an events tab. You click on that. It's moving in slow motion. This is technology, all right? Once you click on that events tab, it will pull up all the local churches that are using this and Friendship should be at the top of the list because, you know what, we're the best, right? Um, no, we're all good. Um, so just click on Friendship Baptist Church. When you click on that, uh, it'll pull up the notes. Um, so we'll have that available kind of every week if you want to follow along through the app. Uh, you should have some notes in the bulletin if you picked one up this morning. Uh, and these will also be available um, through the website once you pull up the sermon. Uh, so those are available to you on version. all right? So if you just type in Bible, if you want to pull up... Uh, if you want to download the app, you can go ahead and do that. All right? Uh, so there's your permission to be on your phone while I'm preaching, okay? Um, only for the Bible, right? Only for the Bible. Uh, so we are in week number three of this sermon series that we're calling God on Film. And really the big idea behind this whole series is that God is a storyteller. And every good story really reflects the best story of all time. And it's a redemptive story of God's work through history, uh, up to today and through the generations and through the Bible. And God is a storyteller. And so we're looking at movies and trying to see what, what some of the things our culture is, is saying, the stories that our culture is telling, and what ultimately can we learn about who God is uh, through the themes of these movies. And so the question we're trying to answer is, what is God like? And so two weeks ago, we were in uh, Avengers Endgame, and really the idea that we saw with that is that God is in control. From beginning to end. That's what we would call the sovereignty of God. God is in control from beginning to end. And then last week we looked at the movie Aladdin, and really the idea with that is that Christ is the one who brings true freedom. So not only is God powerful, not only is God in control, but, but God brings true freedom, the freedom that our hearts are longing for. Now today we're jumping into the movie Toy Story 4. So let me just try to get a pulse for where we're at here in the room. How many have seen the movie Toy Story 4? Raise your hand. Okay, a good number. How many of you have seen any of the Toy Story movies? Okay, a lot of you. So you understand kind of what's going on. I'm going to try because some of you haven't seen the movie. I'm going to try not to give spoilers this morning, okay? Uh, I hear some amens and I got some Facebook things saying, don't you spoil this, all right? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to try not to, uh, but we're going to talk about Toy Story 4. And some of you are like, what in the world are we going to learn about God from an animated film about toys? Uh, actually, it's pretty incredible, the, the, the story that we see in this movie and how it parallels what we see in the scriptures. And so I want to pray. Uh, we're going to show the trailer for this movie to entice you all to go watch it, all right? Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into the sermon, all right? So would you pray with me? Father God, this morning we're grateful that we can come together, that we can gather, that you are the God who calls us up out of the grave. Uh, you are a God who pursues us and loves us, and we get to come together as your 
redeemed people that have been found. And Lord, we come this morning to worship you. And we pray that as we meet together, as we open your word, that you'd speak to us wherever we're at, whatever we're facing, God, that your presence and your power would be very clear and very evident this morning. And so we pray that you would meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Buddy, why am I alive? <gasps> you are a toy. You belong to Bonnie. These are your friends. Woody, I have a question. Um, well, actually, not just one. I have all the questions. Who wants to go on a road trip? Me! Vacation! You need help with that. No, no, I got it. <laughs> I know, this is a little strange, but we all have to make sure nothing Woody! happens to Forky. Woody! <gasps> uh, something happened to him. Buzz, we gotta get Forky. Roger that. The panic is attacking me! Let's go save a spork. Do I need to be worried? Well, my guys are veterans. They'll hang in there. On my way, Woody! I know the perfect toy to help. Duke Kaboom, Canada's greatest stuntman. <laughs> oh, yeah. Huh? Yes. He's posing. Yeah. Duke, we need Hold to... on. One more. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Huh? Whoa! Woody'll save me. I've known that guy my whole life. Two days. <gasps> Is that how we look on the inside? There's so much fluff. We have to find him, Mom. Bonnie needs Forky. Aw, Sheriff Woody always coming to the rescue. That's gonna be quite a jump for you and Duke. For me? Let's kaboom. Go! That's where Forky's being kept. How do we get that key? What about the old plush rush? There you go. Oh, where did you two come from? Well, we're not doing that. So, great little movie. Uh, my family and I, this past week, we were doing sermon research, all right? And we uh, had our first cultural experience at the Little Theater, all right? It's, it was good stuff. Um, not as crazy as we thought it would be. It was, it was nice. It was cool. Um, so, we went and saw Toy Story 4, and really, this movie, it, just seeing the trailer, okay, you, you kind of can get a sense of the theme of this movie. Really, it's all about lost toys. It's all about lost toys. And actually, what you, what you see here is Woody relentlessly pursues these lost toys out of love, okay? And I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to give away stuff here, but really this is the theme of the movie. You see Woody, who interestingly enough is kind of what I would call like a Christ figure. Um, he, he like, he's the one throughout these movies that holds everything together. He's like the patriarch, the one who's always to the rescue, you know, and uh, it's funny because there, I'll give away one line, okay? This doesn't give away the plot or any of that, um, Buzz Lightyear, okay, right, his, his, his partner in crime, um, Woody is off doing something, and, and Buzz literally says these words, what would Woody do? <laughs> so it's like, he's a picture of Jesus, right? Um, but really, the whole idea of the story is you have this lost toy, which ends up, the story is a little bigger than just this, but it's all about lost toys and about 
Woody, who is going after, like relentlessly pursuing this lost toy, and it's out of love. Okay, so there, if, if you're familiar at all with the story of Scripture, then you know where I'm going to go with this, right? Um, it's pretty clear. But this is the theme of, of Toy Story. And, and I want to ask you this question as we're kind of considering this idea of, of lost toys uh, and being in pursuit of, of the lost. Like, have you ever lost something important to you? Like, have you ever lost an item or something, um, you know, that was of value to you? And I'm not talking about, like, have you ever had that where you find, like, a $20 bill in your pocket, you know, and you're like, oh, my goodness, where did this come from? This is amazing. I found this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that's of value of, to you that, man, you've misplaced and you're, you, you're distraught because i got to find this thing. Uh, I remember um, when my firstborn son, Isaiah, was little, he, he had a blankie, okay? Any of you have a blankie when you were a kid? Um, he had this blankie, and we were traveling. I think we were going to Kansas or something, and we stopped at a hotel, and um, the next day, we made our way on the trip, and we're down the road, and we realized, oh, no, where's Isaiah's blankie? And we realized, I think we left it in that rat hole of a motel that we were in, you know? We're like, oh, no, but we were so far down the road that it was like, uh, we are not going back. And to me, I'm like, it's just a blankie. He'll get over it. Um, now, he still cries every night to this day. Or, <laughs> But, like, listen, that had no value to me. I was like, it's just a blanket. We can buy another blanket. But uh, my little son, this was, like, this was his forky. You know, this had some sentimental value. And to me, it was like, whatever. We can, we can go on without it. But, but you know when something means something to you and you lose it and there's like a, a heart connection that when you lose it, man, it's, it's hard. And I'll ask you another question. How many of you have ever been the lost thing? You know, I don't know. One of my greatest fears as a parent is uh, not so much my kids anymore because they all have cell phones and stuff, um, but like losing a child. Like, have you ever had a moment as a parent of fear where you're like, where did my kid go? Where is my child? I don't think there's anything more, like, frightening in your soul than to feel like you've lost a child. And that moment of relief of realizing, oh, they were just hiding between the clothes rack or whatever it is. Man, there's, there's this, this sense of, man, I've lost something that's so valuable to me that, like, a parent doesn't go, you know what? I have three other kids. I'm okay. We're, I'm, we're fine. <laughs> You're like, I've got to find my lost child. Not that I don't love the other ones, but this child is lost, and he's so important to me. And this is what we see in the God of the universe, who is referred to in the scripture as our father, is a God who loves us and pursues after the lost. And so here's, here's the deal. Whether you've been lost yourself or not, chances are very good that you've at some point, maybe even today, felt lost felt like you were wandering, felt like you didn't know your place or your purpose. And what is the good news for us this morning is that God speaks a lot through the scriptures about what it means to be lost and to be wandering. And so we're going to look at this story in scripture in the Bible uh, in Luke chapter 19. You can begin turning there. We'll get there in a second. God speaks a lot about being lost and about wandering, it's, and it's actually the default condition of every human being. Like every single one of us are born in this condition of what we would call loss, which is 
can be a very churchy word, and yet it's a biblical word. And let me explain what I mean by the word lost. This idea of being lost spiritually is this idea of being separated from our creator, separated from God, separated from the one who loves us. And so some of us, here's, here's the deal, is that some of us are outside of a relationship with God. We're separated from him because of our sin. We're all born into this condition. We're all born with a sin nature, and we follow by choice. We choose to sin and go away from God's good plan and um, desires for our life. And so sometimes we wander even uh, after we've been found. But all of us understand what it means to be lost and to be wandering. And what we see in Scripture is that God's intention for us, for every single one of us, is that we would not remain lost that we would not remain wandering. And so we're going to see in Luke chapter 19 the story where Jesus, through his, his, his actions and really through his words also, he tells us the theme of his life and his ministry. Okay, So remember Toy Story. The theme is Woody is relentlessly pursuing lost toys out of love. And what we see in Luke 19 is Jesus, the theme of his life. So let's look at Luke 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And it starts in verse 1 saying, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, Jesus at this point, he's begun his public ministry. People have heard and seen this miraculous work that he's doing. They've heard him preach powerful truth. And so his popularity is is rising here. Verse 2, it says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, okay, or Zach. We'll call him Zach this morning, right? He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Okay, this is an important detail about this individual Zacchaeus, or Zach, he was a tax collector, okay? In that Jewish culture, tax collectors were despised, okay? They weren't just like, oh, we don't like tax collectors. They despised tax collectors. It says he was rich. He was rich because he made his money off the backs of the Jewish people by defrauding them and charging more and getting more money. So he was despised in that culture. And it says he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. I mean, he was... The, the worst of the worst, right? He is up at the top of this list. In fact, when you look through Scripture, you always see tax collectors lumped in the category of tax collectors and sinners, right? So they're like at the bottom of this social totem pole. And so Zacchaeus, it says he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Verse number three, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Okay, so he had heard about this the so-called Messiah, he's interested, he wants to see who he is. And so it says, but on account of the crowd, he could not, he could not see who Jesus was because he was small in stature, all right? Um, and if any of you grew up in Sunday school or flannel graph or any of this stuff, there was like, and I didn't grow up in church, but there was a song about Zacchaeus. How was he described? Do you guys remember? He was a wee little man. That is really derogatory, isn't it? That's so <laughs> offensive. In 2019, I can't believe we sung songs about people and called them wee little man. Um, no offense to those of you that are short in stature, all right? Um, but this is, this is who he was. So there was, and, and you wonder, like, why does, why does God include this detail about him? Well, obviously, it was, it was looked at by him and maybe the culture as this limitation or this, you know, shortcoming. I, okay, sorry. <laughs> that just came to me. All right. Um, but this is important to know about Zacchaeus. He's despised. He's small in stature, but he wants to see who Jesus is. So verse number four, it says, so he ran on ahead 
And he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Okay, he is so desperate to see who this Jesus is and to see if he's really the real deal. So he runs ahead, climbs up in this tree to check out the scene. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, here, here's the, the cool thing about this story. Here is this tax collector, this professional, business professional, and he, he is so desperate to see who Jesus is that he says, I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to go climb that tree, all right, and I'm going to check this out. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to check him out, and the cool thing is, is here is Jesus walking. The, the crowd is immense, and Jesus looks up at him, and he says, hey, I see you. I see you, and, and, and here's the deal. I'm coming over for dinner today, so get your house ready, okay? And some of us in, in our culture today, we look at that and like, wow, that was kind of rude, like just inviting yourself over, you know? We don't typically go, hey, I'm going to come over for dinner tonight. What you having? <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's not cool in our culture, but it was a, a big sign of respect from Jesus. He was saying, hey, I value you. I'm going to come, and I'm going to spend some time with you. I'm going to come to your house And so there was this validation of of Zacchaeus taking place when Jesus invites himself over. Verse 6, it says, So he, Zac, hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, talking about the crowds, it says they all grumbled. And they said this, He has gone in to be a guest, or to be the guest of a man who is a, what? A sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, and, and what you got to see here is there's there's probably, this as a fast forward, okay? Fast forward, Jesus comes to his house, has dinner, and it says that Zacchaeus, verse 8, stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, okay, and so he's a, remember, he's a tax collector. So how many people do you think he's defrauded? Like everyone, right? He's defrauded, and he says, If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Not like I'm just going to pay them back. Not just I'm going to double what I owe them. I'm going to repay them fourfold. Verse number nine, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. We'll talk a little bit about what that means in a second. Verse 10, here is, here is the, the theme statement for Jesus in his life and his ministry. Jesus says in verse 10, okay, remember everybody's grumbling. He's gone in to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus says this, Verse 10, for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to seek and to save the what? The lost. The life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus was all about this. He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Let me, let me put it another way. This is kind of our bottom line for this, this morning. God relentlessly pursues the lost and wandering out of his great love. God relentlessly pursues the lost and wondering out of his great love. And so let me, before we, before we even move on, I want to look at a couple things in this passage. But before we even skip past this idea, I want us to think about this for a second. Because there's some of you in this room that are outside of a relationship with God. And there's some of you in this room that maybe you have a relationship with God, but you're kind of, you feel like you're wandering, right? You're kind of, wandering here and there. You're not really sure. You're not really committed. You're not really, you may be a Christian, but you're not really following 
Christ and you're wondering. Here's what you've got to know this morning. God is relentlessly pursuing you. God is relentlessly pursuing me. And sometimes we're going through our stuff and we're going through our struggles and we're going through our high points and our low points. Listen, we've all got to realize that God relentlessly pursues every single one of us. Because how many of you know, maybe you even have a relationship with God, but there are days and weeks and seasons where you feel like you are just wandering around. How many of you are with me? You know what I'm talking about? God, listen, you're not lost and wandering. God is pursuing you. In fact, I want to I look at a passage here real quick before we jump into Luke 19. I'm just going to read it to you. It's not on the screens or, or on the app. Um, Acts chapter 17 it says this, Paul is kind of telling the, the, the story in a nutshell of, of God and the, the, the grand story of his redemptive work. And in Acts 17, verse 24, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made uh, by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, speaking of Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse 27, that they should seek God. He's saying the reason he's created everyone is so that they would seek God, and he's determined places and events in their life so that they would seek God. And then he says this, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. And here's what I want you to know this morning. You may feel like you are so far from God, like you have done things that could never be forgiven. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus. You believe in who Jesus is, but you've wandered, and you feel like you have run so far from God that he could never reach you. You need to know this morning that he is still near you. You have not run so far that you are outside of his reach. You may feel like you've run miles and miles, but it says he's not far from any of us. Why? Because he is relentlessly pursuing you and me. Amen? That is good news this morning. And so I want to look for, for just a minute at this passage and just Three quick things that we can kind of see in this story, and we're going to kind of fly through this. But in, in, in this, um, number one is this. Jesus doesn't care about your, your social status or your situation. He doesn't care about your social status or your situation. In other words, you see Zacchaeus, he was this chief tax collector. He was lumped with the sinners. His social status was not good, all right? Um, he was despised. And you know what? Jesus, Jesus didn't see him and go, oh, you know what? You're, you're, you're an outcast. I don't care. You have nothing to offer me. The culture hates you. I don't care. You, don't, you have nothing good. For he doesn't care about your social status or your situation. He doesn't care whether you're rich or you're poor. He doesn't care what what political affiliation you have. He doesn't care your socio socioeconomic position. 
doesn't care about that. Number two, he doesn't care about your outward appearance or your, quote, limitations. He doesn't care if you're a wee little man or not. (laughs) He doesn't care if you're not pretty enough according to our culture. He doesn't care if you're thin enough according to our culture. He doesn't care if you're popular enough or outspoken enough. He doesn't care about those limitations, right? He doesn't care about that because he sees Zacchaeus through all of this. Number three is this. What he does care about, he cares about the condition of your heart. He looks past your your social status, he looks past your outward appearance and your limitation, and he looks straight to the heart of you and me. You may be playing the part this morning and come to church every single week, and yet your heart is so far from God, he is looking past all of that because he's looking straight to your heart. And that is what he cares about. That is what he cares about. Because here's the heart of Zacchaeus on display, all right? You see his, his desperation to see who Jesus was, right? It caused this dignified adult to run and climb up a tree, for goodness sake, right? He, he was desperate to see who Jesus was. He didn't care what it looked like. And could some of us learn something about that in our culture? Because some of us are so afraid to pursue Jesus because of what it is going to look like to the surrounding culture. And Zacchaeus said, I am desperate to find out who he is. Is he really who he says he is? Jesus cared about his heart, and his heart was crying out, I need to see if this guy is for real. And then you see, um, you see the action of, of Zacchaeus. Right? He comes down through here. And you see that it says in verse 6 that he, he came down from the tree and he received Jesus joyfully. Right? The response of his heart was joy. It was to receive Jesus. And then you see his action later on. It says that he, let me read it to you again. It says in, in verse number 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. In other words, half of what I have, I'm going to give it away to the poor. And he says, and if, I have, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And then Jesus responds by saying, today salvation has come to this house. Now, I want to make sure that you don't misunderstand this. Because it could be easy to read this and go, okay, Zacchaeus did all these good things. He repaid all the wrongs he did. He made all the wrongs right. And so all of a sudden, he is in good standing with Jesus. That's, not, that's not, what, not what is going on here. What's happening is that, here's the response of Zacchaeus. He received Jesus joyfully. And now it says, because Jesus has changed his heart, now his actions follow. And now he, is, he has this awareness of his sinfulness and who Jesus is. He has trusted him. Now he's saying, okay, now I'm going to restore. I'm going to make all the wrongs right. I have power to do. The, it's, it's a cause and effect, right? He's not repaying in order to find salvation. His salvation his, has caused him to repay. Does that make sense? 
He's not doing good things to find good standing with God. Because he has found good standing and forgiveness with God, now he is doing good things. Why? Because God has changed his heart. And so don't go out of this room this morning going, I've got to go to church more, and I've got to give half of my stuff to the poor, and I've got to make all my wrongs right in order for God to accept me. No, 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 no. Remember, when did Jesus see him? Before he did all that, right? Jesus saw him, and it says that he received him joyfully, and it changed him. Because when we see and when we encounter Jesus, it changes our heart, which leads to our actions that change. So here's, here's the pattern. We see who Jesus is. We receive him. He changes our heart, and then our actions follow that. And so Jesus, he says, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, here's what this means. This doesn't mean, hey, just because he's a Jew, he's a, a son down the line of Abraham, that he is, he is saved. He says, He's a son of Abraham, and, and throughout the scriptures, I want to point out a, a passage to you, Galatians 3, 6 and 7. We see this phrase, sons of Abraham. Here's what it says in Galatians 3, 7. Just as Abraham, and it quotes a passage in Genesis 15. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of what? Those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Here, here's what it says throughout the New Testament. Here. Here's the way that you become a son of God, a son of Abraham. It's through what? Faith. It's not through doing a bunch of stuff. It's faith in Jesus. And so what Jesus says here is today, salvation has visited this house. Why? Because Zacchaeus has changed his, the place where he places his faith. It's no longer in himself. It's in Jesus. And that is how you become a child a son, a daughter of God. And so, listen, this morning, here is the bottom line again. God relentlessly pursues the lost and wandering because of his great love. And I want, to, I want to show you just kind of a silly example of this. You may have seen this video shared like a year ago. This is an example of like the relentless love of God for us played out through a human. So check out this video. Did you guys ever see this video? A Chick-fil-A employee, okay, he's running after the car that has left their meal. Okay, so he's chasing after the customer because they've lost their food, right? And so he leaves the 99 and says, forget all the other customers. I'm going after this one because they've left their food behind. Okay, that's a dumb example, but, but <laughs> the song even kind of plays in about Jesus leaving the 99. But this is the reality of, of who God is. He, like... He chases after you and me. And maybe you don't, like, I don't know about this person driving the car. I, I assume they were probably driving a while before they realized, hey, there's a dude chasing me. What is, he, what is that lunatic doing? You know, you know what I'm saying? He just probably wasn't looking in the mirror. It may have taken a while. But you know what? That is like some of us. Maybe we're not dialed into our rear view. 
Maybe we're totally unaware that God is chasing after us, but I am telling you this morning, and Jesus is telling us this morning that he loves you and is relentlessly pursuing you every single day of your life. He is after you because of his great love. He's a God who pursues the lost and the wondering. This is who he is because of his great love. Not to chase you down and put the smack down on you because you've messed up royally. No, because he loves you. And only in him can you find forgiveness and freedom. And this is the kind of God that we follow, that we Love. In fact, I've got a, a homework assignment for you if you want to kind of dig into the scripture. I, I use the, the translation of scripture I use is the English Standard Version, the ESV. There's a phrase in there, steadfast love. Okay, that, that phrase, steadfast love. So on you version or any Bible program you use, if you look up in the ESV, other translations use words like loving kindness. But if you go in the ESV and do a word search, just put into the search tab, steadfast love. You're going to find that phrase uh, over 190 times, and over and over and over, you're going to see throughout the story of Scripture, the story of God, you're going to see that one of the defining qualities of God is his steadfast love, and that's the reason he pursues you. That is the reason he pursues me. It's an unrelenting love that he has for us, that chases us down every moment of every day. You know, there's a great old hymn that I love, one of my favorites. It's a hymn called Come Thou Fount. And I don't know if any of you remember this song, but one of the, one of the verses, it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Man, isn't that so true of all of us? That I, I don't care how strong you feel in a relationship with God. We are all prone to wonder. And the amazing thing, the good news this morning is that God keeps pursuing you and me. Amen? This is who God is. We won't look at it this, this morning. I want to point it out. It's in, your, it's in the app. Uh, Luke 15, there's three parables that you see Jesus tells. Because again, the religious people of his day are so frustrated and annoyed that he's, he's having meals with sinners. And so Jesus tells these three stories about lost things. A lost sheep, lost coin, and a lost son. Actually, two lost sons, if you look closely, in Luke 15. And the pattern is this. There's something that is lost that is found, and then there's great rejoicing in heaven. Lost, found, rejoicing. Lost, found, rejoicing. This is who God is. He pursues us until he finds us, and then all of heaven rejoices. I don't care if you're one of seven billion people. You are the one that Jesus is after. And you know what? Everything that we do as a church is about not just loving and growing the 99. It's about pursuing the one. There's a, a, a pastor and author. His name is Kevin DeYoung. He, he said this, this quote. He said, in my neighborhood, on almost every light pole, 
there are signs for lost dogs or cats. I don't know if that's, that's going on in Kershaw County. I know in Springfield it was like that. You always see these signs for lost things. He said, when I first noticed these signs, I felt a tinge of sympathy. But then nothing seemed to happen. The, season, the seasons changed. The picture, pictures grew faded because of the weather. Have you ever seen that? You're like, How, this thing has been lost for like two years. Are we, are we still searching? You know? And it says, and yet many of the signs are still up today. I can't help but wonder, is anyone actually looking for these animals? Do they expect me to do all the work? Did the owners just put up signs and assume the pets would read them, realize they're missing, and saunter on home? <laughs> and he says, this is not the way God seeks The shepherd doesn't just put up a sign that says, hey, I lost a sheep. He leaves the 99 behind and he goes after the one who is missing. And listen, you know what we can do as a church? What a lot of churches do? We put up a sign that says, hey, come to us and we'll help you be found. But you know what Jesus did? You know what God does? You know what God did in your life? He came after you. And if we're not careful as a church, we can go come to us because we have the answer. Rather than doing what Jesus did, which was pursue and go after the one who is lost. Listen, if we are a church that waits for people to come to us, we will be a church that dies we will be a church that fades away. We will be a church that is not relevant because Jesus' mission is our mission. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. John 20, 21, let me just read this one more passage to us. John 20, verse 21, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am what? sending you. It says, just the way that God has sent me to come after you, Jesus says, listen, if you are a follower of mine, I'm sending you. And so my mission, Jesus says, becomes your mission. Not just to sit and be comfortable and enjoy being found people. No, we go out and find people. Amen? This is who God has called us to be. Not just a gathered people, but a scattered people who go after those who are lost and wandering. Because the reality is, for most of us, we would still be lost apart from God had he not pursued us. That's the reality for all of us. And so this is who we are. And so in, in a couple weeks, in the month of August, we're going to do a, our next series is a series that we're, that we're calling Who's Your One? Who's Your One? Which is really all about our mission as followers of Jesus. And so I'm really excited for this. I want to try to provide some tools for you and try to help us as a community, as a family, to be people who go after the one, not, who, not a people who just sit and enjoy being part of the 99. So we're going to jump into this series in the month of August. Also, we've got another change coming up, okay, a, a change in the month of August. And I want to give you a heads up. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to tweak our service times. All right, not a big one, but we're moving from a 9.45 and 11.15. We're scooting back that first service to 9.30, okay? So just a 15-minute change. And I know some of you are like, 15 minutes on a Sunday morning? Really? Okay, suck it up. <laughs> Listen, 
all of this. <laughs> Says your leader, suck it up. All right. Here, here's the deal. We are doing this not for comfort's sake, right? Obviously, because we all want our 15 minutes more of sleep or whatever. We do this for the sake of the mission. We do this because this isn't just a place for us to gather as God's people. This is a place where we can invite the lost in to witness us loving one another and worshiping the God of the universe. And so making a slight change, here, here's part of the deal. And our, nine, our 945 service is getting a little fuller. And as we head into the fall, listen, we want to try to make room for as many people who would not claim to be found people to make their way in and hear the good news of the gospel. And so we're hoping that some of us, some of this will push some folks to the 1115 so that we can make more room in both services for people who would come in, all right? So it's for the sake of the mission. If it was for the sake of comfort, we wouldn't be doing this, right? We would go like 1230 or whatever, <laughs> but that's not why we do this. And so those things are, are coming up. So let me... Let me, as we kind of conclude this morning, let me, let me give you a couple questions to ponder, all right? As we've talked about this God who relentlessly pursues the lost and the wandering, let me ask you a couple questions. Question number one is this. Are you lost? Are you lost? And what I mean by that is, are you outside of a relationship with God? Has there never come a point in your life where you've submitted yourself your heart that God is after? Have you never submitted your heart to this God who loves you? Are you wondering? Maybe there's come a point where you've put your faith in Jesus, but man, you find yourself feeling like you're lost and wondering. You're not really sure your place or your purpose. Here's one. I would ask you to do this morning. Turn to Christ. Ask God for forgiveness. Turn your trust away from yourself and trying to figure things out and trust in God. Turn to him. Because listen, he's not far from you. He's right in the rear view waiting for you to turn. And let me ask you another question. Do you have a heart for the lost? those who do not yet know God, not yet believers. Because listen, it's easy to follow Jesus and be just, man, so wrapped up in our relationship with him that we forget that there are people that do not yet know who God is, that do not yet know that he loves them, that do not yet know that he is after them. And while we sit comfortable in air conditioning, they are on their way to an eternity without Christ. So I want to ask this morning, this isn't a guilt trip question, but do you have a heart for the lost? Because if you don't, if I don't, here's what we need to do. We need to turn to God and say, God, would you break my heart for the people that need you? And maybe I am found, but would you use me to help find others? And so would you pray with me this morning as we bring our requests before God. Father, this morning you know where every single one of us is this morning. You are a good God. You are a God who, because of your steadfast love for us, you pursue us. 
Even when we sin, even when we turn our back from you, you are still pursuing us. You don't give up on us. You don't write us off. And God, I'm so grateful that you are that kind of a father. That you are always pursuing. You are always going after us. And God, I'm asking that, Lord, for people in this room that may be outside of a relationship with you. They've never put their trust in you. God, I pray that this morning would be the morning that they would turn their hearts towards you and surrender. And God, for every single one of us that feels like maybe we're wondering, we're unsure, God, would you help us to know that you are in pursuit of us, that you are with us and our place is with you, following you and pursuing you and pursuing those who need you. And so, God, I'm just grateful that you are a God that forgives, that shows us grace, and a God that uses us. You don't just find us, but you use us to reach out and find those who are lost. And so, God, would you use us as your church to to do that in this place? We pray this in Jesus' name.